Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Slackbow, the makers of the Slack Block. When we redid our side yard a million years ago, I had a serious conversation with the, the contractors. I was like, I need a place to put my slack line. Like I have always had, I've had, a, obsessed. I've had a slack line in my life for a long time. And so um, I just, I feel like I, it makes me feel better. It helps me deal with stiffness in my feet. It just kind of wakes up my system, right? And so it's a lot, of, like my favorite workout ever, deadlift a little bit, slack line a little bit, barbecue a little bit, <laughs> right? But you know, we appreciate that not everybody has space in their yard or their house it's or not, in it's not anywhere possible. Yeah, to actually have an actual slack line that it's really, you need a large amount of space and two giant trees or something. So one of the things we love so much about the slack block is how convenient it is. It's small and portable and literally sits in our kitchen and Kelly plays on it all the time. The kids are on it. Kids who come over are playing on it. It's just convenient and really cool to have around. So one of the things is we see that Weak feet, poor balance, it, it degrades all your athletic pursuits. And some of us like to ride bikes and some of us do a bunch of things where some of those sharp edges and sort of sharp, sharp knives of capacity get a little bit blunted and dull. This is such an easy way to work back in foot strength, integration, getting, this, getting the foot tied back into your brain. The slack block is great. I first found it in Tim Ferriss's garage and immediately like grokked what it was. I was like, oh my God. And then I ordered one right then and there. We got home and Juliet's like, what is this? And I was like, this is the future. This is the future of balance. If you want to check out the Slack Block, go to thereadystate.com slash Slack Block. Happy balancing. Adi Kaju is the founder and CEO of Working Against Gravity, also known as WAG, which is an online nutrition coaching program with a mission to transform lives. Having made a name for herself in nutrition, Adi has worked with elite athletes like Katrin Davidsdottir, Jessica Lucera, and Tia Claire Toomey, just to spotlight a few. Adi is a lifelong learner with a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in teaching, and is working towards a master's in nutrition and human performance. Beyond being an entrepreneur and student of the nutritional sciences, Adi is also an accomplished athlete, having competed in the National Pro Grid League, CrossFit Open, and won a bronze medal in the 2016 Canadian National Weightlifting Championships. Her partner in crime is Michael, president of WAG, specializing in helping his team and clients get out of their own way by identifying self-limiting beliefs and ineffective behaviors. In fact, the back-to-back -back CrossFit World Cup champion is no stranger to this unique process of self-examination. And the impressionable age of 17, Kaju confronted his own limiting beliefs and ineffective behaviors head on, attending drug rehab to overcome his addicted to opiates. It's this experience that inspired a love of health and fitness on a personal level, which later translated into a passion for coaching and mentoring inside and out of the gym. Prior to joining WAG, Michael also co-founded Brute Strength, an online fitness training company where he continues to contribute to operations and remains as the podcast host. Adi and Michael live in Austin with their dog Otis and are expecting their first child this year. Adi and Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Ready State Podcast. Yeah, we're so pumped to be here. So excited yeah. to be on, guys. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to be talking to you both. Um, okay, this is you. There's two of you, obviously. So this may be a little bit of a hard question, but um, could you guys just give us a little bit of a background about how you both got into the overall health and fitness community and why you took on the third rail yes and why and then sort of how, the religion yeah, the third rail that is nutrition mm, you want to go first or me sure yeah so 
funnily, funnily, interesting Lee. enough, interestingly enough, <laughs> we've started both of our companies on the same month, same year, 20, November 2014. I started Brute Strength. Um, before that, I had been an athlete my entire life. I went to drug rehab. I was really searching for some way to stay fit that didn't bore the hell out of me. And a person that I had met in the recovery community named Bryce introduced me to CrossFit. I fell in love with it. It, was, it came at a really pivotal time in my recovery because it gave, me, it gave me goals to strive for outside of just show up to a meeting every day. That was really, really important to me. And then I got really into it. I ended up competing in it and winning the CrossFit Games in 2012 and 13. I got an injury, decided to start this company. And then around the same time, Adi was starting WAG. Yeah. And I got started, I think it starts originally, I was 16 years old and almost 200 pounds. And I had the weirdest habits around food. And it's so interesting that I ended up marrying a recovered addict because when he tells stories about the way that he was around substances, I was that way around food. Like I was very sneaky about it. I would, um, I would lie about it. I would steal to get food. I would just do all these weird things. Um, and I ended up going to a nutrition coach when I was 16 and she just completely changed my life. Like within the next five months, I lost 50 pounds. And since I was 16, I, it gave me the confidence to get into the gym, to start working out. Um, and then a couple years later, so I think around like 17 or 18, I had my first boyfriend because all of a sudden boys were interested in me. <laughs> and he was um really into working out and he told me hey um like don't follow me around the gym anymore and copy all the things i'm doing just go to crossfit.com they post a workout every single day just do whatever they post so i started doing that and i ended up um getting really good at the weightlifting portion of crossfit so i started just solely doing olympic style weightlifting and i did that for like around 6 years and because it's a weight class specific sport, um, all of my experience, like maintaining my weight since I was 16 years old and working with a nutrition coach and her helping me figure out how to change my weight while still actually enjoying my life at the same time helped me move between weight classes. Um, and I had a blog where I talked about it and people were just interested in me helping them as well. And that kind of just took over my life. So I know that we're here, and thank you for that, both of you. I know that we're here to talk about, you know, both of your, well, many things, but including uh, your approach to nutrition currently. But I have to ask, what did your, what was your, I mean, I'm the daughter of a 15-year-old girl, and, you know, I know that um, nutrition in kids is sort of fraught with uh, concern and conflict and, you know, disordered eating, and it's such a complex topic. I just have to hear a little more about and what this person like did. it's easy to how mess that, it up. Yeah, like how did this person approach <clears throat> that and obviously knock it like super far out of the park with you? Yeah, she, I think her approach was a lot of what we still use right now, which was really helpful um, to me at the time. There was like no shame or judgment or blame or any type of like, information like that around food. So she, instead, it was kind of like Weight Watchers, which we were just talking about, mm -hmm. where she had categories of food um, and you'd get a certain amount of points per category. And then she would have lists and I would sit with her and I would pick from the different lists and I would make my own meal plan. I chose my own foods. She never told me what to eat. She 
empowered me with the ability to make my own food choices. And she explained to me um, like what fit in which category. The categories were carbs, fat, protein, and fruit was its own category. Um, and that like helped me understand and build awareness around what is actually in the food that I'm eating and what does portion sizes look like and what does a plate fully look like. And I, I also was allowed to have um, like treats, I guess, or things that weren't necessarily um, full, fully micronutrient dense. And there was no shame around that. And just the accountability and having somebody to have real conversations about food with really helped me to be like, okay, this is not a scary thing. It's not something I have to hide. It's not something I have to be sneaky about. And this person actually wants to help me. I don't have to try and figure out how to do this all by myself. And if I may Amazing. just add one more thing, Adi is the most compliant client in on the planet. If, if she hurts her knee and she wants to work with you, Kelly, remotely, and you give her corrective exercises, she's going to do them every single day. She's never going to miss. You're hired. She's... She is just hardwired that way, so that helped as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, yeah. that I don't think that's an that is interesting and notable, partly because you figured out that when you were adherent and when you did what you guys both agreed you were going to do, you saw results. Mm -hmm. Which must, I mean, it's interesting that <clears throat> food and self soothing, Michael, obviously is a big deal, and then you know, being a young person trying to establish your relationship with food. I'm going to bridge this for a second because you also have a track record of not just helping people change their body composition, gain weight or lose weight, but you also have a tr incredible track record of having people be able to manage this at a high level where they have to fuel or they lose. Mm -hmm. So do your top athletes, and I'm thinking about like Katrin Davis' daughter who we were just talking about, who was just a super stud. Do you find that most of us just sort of blindly get through it. We sort of eat the way we thought we were eating or muscle and fitness told me to eat this way. Do you see that most of the athletes you're working with, were they like you, that they just didn't have any rules and they got this way and then we start to tighten it up to get better or are they more sophisticated now? Like wh wh why are we getting it wrong or, or how does it, we don't know some of the basics? Mm -hmm. I think that when they came, I mean, and they're still human, right? So when Katrin started working with me, she was 22, I think, 22 or 23. Um, she's still human. She still has like days where she wants to eat whatever she wants. She's still, I mean, Brooke Wells is another example where she was in college when we were started working together. She still wants to party with her friends and drink. And like, that's still a thing. Um, they definitely understood some level of the basics, but they were listening to like the muscle and fitness magazine. And Catherine, when we started working together was eating no carbohydrates almost at all. And she had just won the CrossFit Games. So I was like, oh man, like we're about to like dramatically change your life. Like this is going to yeah. be fun. Um, so just working on like her fear of carbohydrates, but she, she heard that from somewhere. Um, like I think it was- uh, well, The entire CrossFit community at the yeah. time was- Yeah, very. Paleo, yeah. don't yeah. eat any carbs other than sweet potatoes. Mm -hmm. Right. So she was definitely like super bought into that and- um, not that it couldn't work for some people, but it was a worth at least experimenting. Do, do carbohydrates actually help you in the gym? And does it help you uh, make things easier? Um, so it, it has helped for sure to like play around with what works for each athlete, incorporating different things like carbohydrates. Um, I think the main thing that makes a difference between with them though is um, 
oftentimes, which I would love to give myself credit for this, but I don't think it's hundred percent me. Um, getting a nutrition coach makes you feel like a full professional athlete where I have now someone who helps me with my mobility. I have someone who helps me with my training. I have someone who helps me with my mindset. And now I have someone helping me with my food. There's like this switch that goes off where it's like, I'm a professional athlete now. I agree. And it's like, um, that's so interesting. It changes their attitude towards everything. Um, there's like a confidence that comes like an attitude that comes from that. Like I'm going pro, um, that I've noticed with almost every athlete that I've worked with at a high level. Yeah. I haven't even thought, I mean, that that's such a good point. Um, I, really, I want to go pro. I want, yeah, I want to go pro. <laughs> um, I really do want to actually, uh, circle back around to talk about the whole carbohydrate thing. Cause it's such a hot topic. And I mean, even outside the athletic world and like the regular people world, it's like, should I eat carbs? Should I not eat carbs? But I, before we get to that, can you just first tell us uh, how you started working against gravity, what it is, sort of the backstory of it and what it is. And like, if you were to be someone who signed up for it, what would your experience be? Yeah. That was like seven questions in one. I apologize. You guys can got it. each yeah. take them. Um, and then you'll, you'll talk about the experience, but I'll talk about how it started. So Perfect. it really was when I was a weightlifter um, in 2014, I was deciding to switch from the 69 kilo class to the 63. And I had a blog where I was just documenting um, I thought nobody was reading it to be completely honest. Um, and six kilos is a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a change. So I was switching, I was dropping six kilos and I was getting stronger at the same time. And in 2014, I don't know if you guys remember, but like in the functional fitness weightlifting space, everything was like, get bigger, get stronger. I don't care about what I look like. I just care about how I perform. Like doesn't matter. Get your bloat on. Yeah. And they yeah. were like, yes. people would talk about like, oh, I'm gaining body fat, but it's just because I'm working out harder. And I just like, didn't totally <laughs> buy into that. I was like, I don't think that makes much sense. So um, I was losing weight, getting leaner and I got stronger at the same time. So like my lifts like one example, I think I went from a 250 back squat to a 315 back squat. And people were like, hmm. whoa, like how is that happening? It was very novel um, at the time. So people just started asking me to help them. And I was training under Travis Mash in North Carolina at the time. We love Travis. Yeah. He's one of our homies. Mm -hmm. So he, um, yeah, so he, I mean, he is like relentless with, we. he's just like very good at getting people strong. So um, he asked if I could offer nutrition coaching to his weightlifting team. And overnight I had 80 people that wanted nutrition coaching. And that was just like, oh my gosh, just like took over my life. Um, and we got people results and it kind of just escalated from there. Um, yeah, that's how it started. You know, what's interesting is that we have a, a friend who did a lot of work with women CEOs and a lot of the women CEOs ended up, didn't ever start out to start a business. They ended up setting out to solve a problem and then had to become CEOs. They had, you know, you just happened to have this innate skill you had developed and this experience and your, all your abilities and all of a sudden you're like, poof, go 80 people. Mm -hmm. And let's just say it, 80 dysfunctional weightlifter people, which was not <laughs> nothing. <laughs> okay, Self-included. So, so just to sort of spin off that and Michael, maybe you can um, tell us what it's like from, mm -hmm. you know, what, what is it like, what is one's experience as a working against gravity client and, and sort of what's the philosophy behind it? Yeah. So evolved, if you, sure. it has evolved quite a bit. So if you <laughs> sign up with us, you go to our website, you pay, 
and you are taken to a screen where you can fill out a questionnaire in our software system, Seismic. We're gonna ask you about your diet history, exercise history, age, gender, if you care to say, uh, all of those things. And we're gonna get a really comprehensive view of who you are, what your preferences are, et cetera. That information is gonna be sent to one of our administrators who's gonna look at all of that information and pair you with the best coach on our staff that fits your unique needs and challenges and opportunities. From there, your coach is going to then look at all your information. They're gonna give you a custom nutrition plan. Usually that will come with a specific set of macronutrients, so carbs, fats, proteins, and fiber. Um, fiber we put in there just to encourage people to eat more fruits and veggies. Uh, we also will give them some initial guidelines on like how to weigh and measure, how to track their food, all of the general onboarding and like how to get started actually dialing in your nutrition. That's, that's the first interaction that they'll have with the coach. From there, and like the meat of our service is real people going out and trying to adhere to that plan that they got. And then each week coming in and checking in with what went well and what didn't go so well. And the coach then gives very specific feedback on how they can overcome the challenges that they're, um, that they're coming up against in actually following that plan. And so over the course of three, six, nine months, it becomes this very, very tailored nutrition plan for that individual. Yeah. Wow. And just to go like really, maybe overly simplistic, but to the extent that people don't know what this means, what does it mean to actually count macros? And I know you kind of mentioned it briefly, but what are they and what would it, what would it mean if someone were counting them? It's basically like beans. Like there are a bunch of beans in your body and you're just removing them and putting one on the table one at a time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. How would you describe yeah. that? Like macros. Um, yeah. And it's, it's also, we've evolved over time. It's like, um, that's, it's a way to every single thing you eat, all the calories that you eat are either coming from carbs, fats, or protein or alcohol, which is like kind of like an exception to the rule. So let's not talk about that drink one right as now. much as you want. No, <laughs> no, but that's where your calories are coming from. So it is tracking your macros is a way of, um, also tracking your calories at the same time and making sure you're getting a well-balanced um, diet, meaning each macronutrient, carbs, fat, protein are doing different things in your body. They help you in different ways, depending on who you are, what your preferences are. Um, and also accounting for them accounts for total calories, which can help with whatever goals you have or performance, uh, weight gain, weight loss. Um, and it builds, it's almost like a skill set to build a level of awareness around your food. Most people eat their food and they're like, they start tracking their food, let's say, and then they, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much fat I was eating, or I have no idea that there was no protein in almost anything that I eat in a day. And it helps build some level of education and awareness in a world today where um, we are very disconnected from like what is actually going in our food and what is coming into our bodies. And I really appreciate that. We, sorry, we, we hear this all the time. And a lot of our friends who have successful nutrition nutrition interventions bring that consciousness and awareness first. It's like we just have no idea what the baselines are. And even just bringing that consciousness to it, you're like, okay, mm -hmm. I haven't had any water today. I didn't eat a vegetable even though I'm plant-based. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like so it's really shocking, yeah. right? When yeah. when people just sort of have the consciousness. I have to believe that that has got to be one of the most powerful aspects of the intervention. I mean, obviously you guys are experts at tuning up and tuning down the small knobs. I mean, you really have a reputation for that. But I mean, going from zero to two must be the most profound experience for people versus going from nine and a half to 10. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Like if we're going on 80-20 principle, the 20% of things that give us 80% of the results, just writing down and tracking what you're already eating without changing a thing will have one of the biggest effects in your nutrition period. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes of all time is the extent to which you are unconscious of a habit is the extent to which it persists. And just being able to put that. awareness on something allows you to take action. And if you're not aware, then you cannot get results. So that's like that leap for people is, um, is huge. So, um, one thing I will say, and tell me if you guys agree with this and, and maybe you guys are tracking every single, every single, every single thing you're eating, but my experience having done a ton of tracking in various different formats in my own life is that you really do actually, you can sort of move into like a post-tracking part of your life where you actually can pretty much look at something and be like, that's probably this many ounces of, or how, whatever, you know, unit of measurement you're using, but you can kind of eyeball everything and have a pretty good idea that you're sort of, you know, reaching your macros or whatever sort of count you're trying to do. Do you guys find that to be true? Or are you still tracking every single thing you eat or what's it like for you in your own life? Yeah, you're exactly right. So what we call what you just described is intuitive eating, but we look at it like intuitive eating is like the top of the pyramid and tracking and building awareness is more the bottom of the pyramid. After doing, and I'll pretend like I'm as consistent with this as a D, <laughs> she is like a Jedi and I'm her, her student. Um, what we do in our own life is we go through periods where we track diligently and I feel like that's kind of like resharpening our blade. Mm -hmm. But then the majority of the year, we're just using those skills of eyeballing, like you said, and just really knowing what our body needs to feel the best, to perform the best, to look how we want to look. And if we ever feel like, you know, we just went on a big trip to Europe this past summer and we, we started out great, got a little out of control at the end. When that happens and we don't, and we have like negative momentum, we have the tools to, um, to really dial things back in. And that's, that's where we want all of our clients to get to, where they don't need us for the rest of their lives. They have this huge toolbox that they can pull out any time that they need. Yeah, it's kind of like going to university. You spend all this time studying and reading the books and memorizing the information so that you can pass the tests and get the degree. And then once you get the degree, you really only use the information that's relevant to your life. You don't use the other things and you can pick up, you've, you've built the discipline to be able to learn. You've built the ability to like consume information and store it and you can bring it back up whenever you need it. Um, I have not tracked anything since last January when I did a, I did a 90 day keto experiment to see what it would be like. Um, but other than that, I haven't tracked anything since. And it's more just, you have this con, I have confidence that no matter what situation I'm in in life, nutrition is not something I, that has control over me. I have control over my nutrition. And that's from like building that skill set. That is, I really love that you treat this like a skill. Mm -hmm. I don't think we even heard people say that. Yeah, it really know, is. It's really just, are you a skilled consumer Eater, food yeah. or not, <laughs> well, you know? and I do exactly. And it's, and it's easy if you just yeah. have, you know, 
you're just looking at spinach and steak, but then your choices are you know binary, right? But it's not that easy. So I really like this idea of skill. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have to say I do exactly what you guys do. I mean, I definitely have times in my life for whatever reason where I fall off the wagon and, you know, I eat the cake my daughter bakes every single night or whatever. And in those times, and I've never heard that phrase negative momentum, but I, whenever I have negative momentum too, I, even though I'm pretty good at eyeballing, it's also kind of this like thing I do where I go back to actually tracking and just to get myself back on track. And then I'll do it for a few weeks and then I'm like, ah, I'm kind of burn out on tracking and I think I'm back on track and then I stop. But I, you know, negative momentum is interesting. Okay. I have to go back to this thing about well, I have multiple questions because you did, mentioned you did a keto experiment, but I, mm. I'm going to get to that later. I do want to go back to like this topic of carbs because I will say that I think we talked about this in the pre-roll a little bit, but in our community, and I think generally speaking, and this is largely among like non-athletes, but I think it's also a discussion among, among athletes and especially it was specifically in the CrossFit community a few years ago that it was like, you cannot eat any carbs and that they're terrible for you. So I don't know. I'd love to hear what you both think about that a little in a little more depth, <laughs> especially when it comes to like living life and also athletic performance. Yeah. And, and let me, I'll dovetail into that because I think it's, it's relevant is that what are the differences between eating for health and eating for performance, mm-hmm. right? Are there differences? So I think maybe you can sandwich those things together with a food analogy sandwich. Yeah. I love it. It's a great question. Um, I think it all comes down to the person's goals and priorities and most, and I'll add that most people have no idea what their goals and priorities are. They Mm -hmm. think they know what they want, but when it, when you really get down to it, they, they want something different. Um, for instance, people, I think people think that they want like their highest priority is to look a certain way, but when you get down to it, the amount of effort that it takes, the amount of sacrifices that it takes mm-hmm. to look like someone like Brooke Entz, um, who I'm sure you guys know, who is just absolutely shredded, looks like a, an action figure. Yeah. They really don't want, they're not willing to do the work that it takes to get there. So I just use that as an arbitrary example to say like people don't often know what their uh, goals actually are and we help them figure that out. We don't, we don't believe that, that carbs are good or bad. Uh, we believe in helping each person find what makes them feel best at any given time. And we, we see that as something that evolves for every single person. Um, personally, we've done a lot of experimentation. And I think it's fair to say that one of the best that we've both ever felt in our entire life was on this keto experiment mm-hmm. uh, in terms of mental clarity. I feel like that's a real thing even though it sounds so woo. I uh, totally hated that saying before we tried it. Yeah, it felt like this <laughs> this film was sort of lifted from my mind. I was a little bit clearer, a little more focused. Um, I also had, I didn't know I had any like stomach issues, but all of a sudden it was like, it felt a little bit better in there. And on the other side of things, I don't feel like it's that sustainable for me in my life. I, you know, I come from Louisiana where there's not a keto thing for 500 miles. Um, I love sweets from time to time. And we, we also, in our nutrition philosophy, we, we have to consider what is practical over a long period of time. And so keto for us, having almost no carbs at all, has also become another tool in our toolbox that we can just go back to if we feel like we want to shake things up or we want to train for a specific goal. 
Um, but that's a long way of saying we don't think that carbs are good or bad. We like to f- find what makes people feel best. And there's like so many little nuances to it because people forget like vegetables are carbs and no. like no people figure. just forget. They just fruit is a carb. <laughs> like Stop. fruit is carbs. Vegetables is carbs. Um, wine. Yeah. Wine. Well, yeah. Cashews. <laughs> like there's, yeah. Cashews or yogurt. You're going to have a lot of carbs in it. Some like dairy, depending on what kind of dairy you're having. Avocados can ruin your day with carbs. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so, so people just forget that carbs doesn't necessarily mean void of micronutrients. If you're filling your carbs with Sour Patch gummies and um, like sh- processed sugar, it's a different story. So it really depends like on what it is exactly we're talking about. But um, we don't think carbs are the enemy. And we're what we're really, really like our mission is for people to feel in control of their nutrition while also enjoying your life at the same time. And I think people underestimate sometimes that Food also is connected to joy and life experience and bonding with people and how many life experiences is connecting over food. So um, carbs are a big part of that. They're just abundant in the world. We've also seen in a very high percentage of people that we've worked with that are coming from not necessarily keto, but like a very low carb, like paleo diet when they are working out consistently, when they add in more carbs and have a moderate amount of fat, they lose fat very, very rapidly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's this fear in a lot of parts of the nutrition world that are just really afraid of of carbohydrates. We were at a uh, a, a big international um, summit and sitting down at the dinner table and this person was really heavy fat forward, no carb, but massive amounts of fat. And this woman sat down next to Juliet and she's like, your arms are jacked, you know? And how do you get that, those, that 12 pack? What's going on with that? And Juliet's like, I can't eat 50,000 calories of fat. (laughs) And the woman's like, what? Like, I mean, like, just like that coffee you have is 1400 calories. Yeah. Like, I'm like, if I have 1400 calories of fat and then three meals of coffee with 1400, you know, and then three meals, I actually will get fat. Of course. Like, I think go forget figure. that. Like fat is so yeah. calorie dense and it's so yeah. low volume. So you can get so much so quickly. Um, so people forget that. I have a couple of follow-up questions. This is really crucial and will speak to the excellence of your, your nutrition strategies and your whole life's work. Can you be a WAG athlete and eat popcorn? Yeah, definitely. This is, this is, well, so, you know, over the years, Kelly and I have been on like, you know, we're not even nutrition experts, but people will ask us like, what, how do you guys eat or whatever? And for years I would say to people, paleo plus popcorn. Nice. Because I was like, popcorn is literally my favorite food. By the way, it does cause me some digestive distress, but I'm willing to accept that for <laughs> in exchange for my love of popcorn. It's really a conflict. But I'm always salt. like, yes. I'm always like, does this diet include popcorn? Because if so, I'm in. Yeah. I mean, um, do, yeah. It doesn't. Do you popcorn. feel like, um, <laughs> Do you feel like men and women, is this a, your strategy? You, you coach both men and women. Mm-hmm. Are men and women, do they have different needs? Do they respond differently to different sort of interventions? Like in your experience working with this vast, vast crowd of people from working with health and again, body composition changes to health to performance, 
are there differences kind of globally that in men and women, or are we just unique animals? You should be so ashamed of yourself for asking that question. There yeah. are no differences in men and women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what are you even talking about, Kelly? <laughs> Juliet's always like, you can eat a, I can eat a bag of cookies and I weigh the same thing the next day. I don't feel great, but I can I weigh the same thing. So it's not the same. Yeah. He can eat a pint of ice cream and like weigh the exact same. And then I eat a pint of ice cream and I'm literally gained 10 pounds. Like not one pound, 10. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely some differences. I mean, one of the things that comes up for me immediately is that women, from my perspective, tend to be way better at adhering to the program. Yeah. Men well, have a really hard time. So, like psychologically, there's differences. That's and this I mean. is just, this is just, we are being so general here. Um, there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, Cole Sager is an exception to this rule. He will, he is like the most compliant. He will listen to anything I say. He asks questions, but he is not like, um, the, the average male who signs that's, I think it's why most nutrition programs in health and wellness are like 70% female, 30% male in general, um, is that most males, um, they, they, they kind of, they kind of come to you, but they already know what they want to do. And so they, they, no. and they already know everything. <laughs> so there's like yeah, a little yeah. bit of, of especially, um, yeah, they, there's a little bit of like, I want to do things my way. And so the, the approach of how to coach and they need to know a lot of why and a lot of, and there's women like this too. So it's not like it's just men, but they, they need to know like a lot of like, what are we doing? What's the plan? Where is this going? How long is it going to take? Why are you making this choice? And also, I think we should try what I want to do at this. <laughs> For instance. And also, what about me? <laughs> For instance, on occasion, um, I will go to her and I'm trying to like change up something about my nutrition. I have a, I have a WAG coach and have for a long time, but occasionally I'll ask her a question. And if it doesn't jive with something that I read on <laughs> T Nation like six years ago, I may, I may dismiss it. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, I know more about that than you. Yeah. No, no, keep keep lifting that way. It's yeah. gonna be great. You're totally yes. you don't need a coach. It's totally <laughs> fine. Um, okay, so uh I know that you guys um are well known for working with a lot of uh high-level athletes, and we've talked about some of those. It does that are the people that are using your program mostly serious athletes, or is it mostly regular people? And you know. It, it sounds like compliance is a big thing, but is there a certain type of person or stage of life that where people find you and have the most success? Yeah, the, yeah. the most common are 25 to 40-year-old people that are into some sort of fitness or sport. And they tend to be people that are like really into that thing. So a lot of CrossFitters, cyclists, out like uh, distance Spartan runners, racers. whatever their sport or mode of fitness, they tend to be people that are like optimizers and really willing to put in the work over the long term. Yeah. Like people who, um, even let's say they're not even into a sport, but they're the type of people who enjoy a challenge. The people who do best on our program, they already come into the program with the understanding that you have to work hard to get results. And they've seen that in some other capacity. Mm. Like I have to work I, people tell me I can't do something. Oh, watch me. Like I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to do what, exactly what you say that I can't do. Um, in sport, it's like a super easy way to learn work ethic because the harder you train, the more you put the effort you put towards it. It's like so tangible to see I'm getting results. Um, so those people like thrive in um, our environment because a lot of it is we, we are empowering you to do the work for yourself 
we are not going to handhold for you. We're not going to tell you exactly what to eat. And we're also not going to guarantee, we're not going to make this easy for you for good reason, I think. <laughs> There's, um, I feel like we talked about a little bit being a parent and having nutrition and certainly something Juliet and I worry about you know, giving all our food neuroses to our growing daughters, mm -hmm. right? You know, counting control, playing around with macros, you know, fasting. We're just like, we're like, our kids are going to have a normal relationship with food because, you know, I cover myself in grass-fed meat every night and yes. it's weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> One of the things I really appreciate about you, these that you said that, you know, you got this power, the superpower as a teenager. And I feel like there's a lot of health interventions that should start with our young people much earlier than we begin these conversations when they're too late. Do you, is it appropriate the wag for, cause I know there's a lot of parents out there who are saying, Hey, I'm really worried about my kids not eating foods, not being, having the fuel and the micronutrients. And I use as an example, the weird food fetishes we see at youth sports which is insane. When we go get to the ready, volleyball, get ready. we go to the swim meets and like, I'm like, your kid just swam a 20 second race and you just gave her a 1500 calorie jump, <laughs> you know, and a Costco muffin. We're like, whoa, recovery. She did, yes. You know, is, do you feel like, cause for, for D, I really feel like it was a superpower for you to have this at age 16. Like that's really remarkable. And I wish someone had talked to me. I used to eat like four bagels at break mm -hmm. and hot chocolate and six and I'd be asleep in class and all puffy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know why. And, you know, trying to gain weight. When should we be initiating these conversations, especially around performance and nutrition with our, our youth athletes? Yeah, we, what we do, we, we don't work with anyone lower than 16. And I think it might just be um, because I was 16 when I started doing it. So that's probably why the bias is there. Um, I think like you can, we don't have kids yet. So my answer is going to be like totally potentially wrong. And let's like chat again in four or five years and then, uh, <laughs> or we can keep an ongoing conversation about this. But I would, what I wish that my parents would have done at the time is have these conversations with me as soon as I am able to make food choices for myself. Like I'm four years old and I'm picking and choosing what types of foods I can have. Like there's, I think you can, I think we, we don't give kids necessarily enough credit that like they are strong. We don't assume strength in them. And we, we kind of like are worried about our own neuroses already. And we're like already worrying about us putting it on them. So it changes the way that we talk about them. And then they automatically feel the weirdness. So they start yes. feeling weirdness around food long before um, they even understand, like, they feel that energy. Like I'm worried about what I'm going to say. Um, so I'm just going to have this like weird energy around talking about food. And then I feel like they feel that like, Oh, this is strange. There's like some weirdness around whenever ice cream comes out. So I'm going to actually, it must be important. So I mm -hmm. want more of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think Kelly and I feel like, and we always, by the way, we're in the same boat as you guys. We, we say the same thing, you know, people say, Oh, you guys are like doing such a great job as parents. And we're like, yeah, check back. Well, when, when like give us another 10 years when our kids are adults and, and then we'll see if like, you know, let's see where they are when they're like 27. Like, did we do a good, you know, we'll, we'll know a lot more then, but um, I, you know, Kelly and I always feel a little bit like, man, if we can send our kids off to college and they at least know that they should sleep a certain amount, even if they don't, um, and they, they sort of independently decide to exercise and independently decide to eat some vegetables. Like we will have won as parents, like that's sort of our, you know, we, and, and I think it's super interesting to think of it as a skill. Um, 
I actually am going to send you guys a copy of what I believe to be the only book you should read as new parents um, called Healthy Sleep Habits, Happy Child. Awesome. And and it's because it treats sleeping for kids as a, a skill, skill mm-hmm. just like nutrition mm-hmm. is, um, and that it's a skill to be taught and valued um, in a certain way and practiced. And, and, practiced. Yeah. And, um, and I think nutrition is the same way with kids. I mean, I think what you guys are saying is exactly it. And, you know, think that, that that's the best we can hope for is just that we sort of teach our kids like this is, you know, and it's important to eat some vegetables and have sort of a, a mixture of foods and some carbs and protein and involved and no way, whey maybe protein sleep a little shake, bit, maybe gummy bears yeah. in there. Anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> anyway, that was just more of a statement. I do. When Kelly mentioned gummy bears, I will say that um, having been in the CrossFit space for a really long time and following, you know, all sorts of nutrition things, I will say that I do. Uh, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. Um, not, I'm not trying to be controversial, but I will say that um, I know a lot of people who are counting their macros who like, are like, great, I have 40 more carbs. Now I get to eat my bag of gummy bears every single night or, you know, and um, I'm assuming you guys are always trying to and know that you're trying to advocate for people sort of biasing real food. Um, but sometimes it does seem like in that counting environment, you know, people are like, great, I've got this much left. I'm going to do this. I don't know. I just want to get your thoughts on that because it's just something I've seen mm-hmm. in the in the counting of things space. Yeah, totally. That's that's something we call if it fits your macros. And there are certainly people that join our program that eat that way. And yeah, we've always been. We I, I don't know if we created this or not. Real food fits your macros. Yeah. yeah. So we started this hashtag Ooh, like saying "Real food fits your macros." Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. You can that's certainly so hit your macros with any food. And there's an argument to be made that at the end of the day, you will look the same if you're meeting it with, you know, nutrient dense whole foods or gummy bears and ice cream uh, from a body composition standpoint, but long-term and the way that we feel along the way, that's just not something that we believe in at all. But we constantly, um, we constantly encourage people to eat as many whole foods as possible. And we also believe that if, 80%, 90% 80%, 90% of your day is full of those foods and you choose to eat a little bit of ice cream or a few gummy bears at the end of every day, that doesn't ruin the beginning of your day. I also, just to add to it, I think what you're talking about is generally a phase that people go through. And sometimes sometimes being a great coach is when to say something and sometimes it's when not to say something. And sometimes you just got to like let people go through this phase because a lot of it is like, oh my gosh, I have this freedom, right? I have this freedom. I don't have to villainize gummy bears anymore. And I can actually enjoy them. And they're just like allowing them to just like run free for a little bit, have the donut, enjoy the ice cream. And like, just they, it's like fun for a minute. I think it's a phase that like does get old eventually. And eventually they're like, all right, like, I don't really want to do this anymore. I kind of just like would rather, yeah, it's like, it's like you kind of get over it after a while. Um, and you're just like, I'd rather I'm realizing, okay, I can have 40 carbs with the gummy bears, or I can have this like humongous salad. That's the exact same amount of calories and the exact same, um, like weight and makes me feel way better. Um, I think sometimes it's just a phase which comes from a mindset of this food is good and this food is bad. And therefore, if I eat the bad food, I am a bad person. And we just, I think it's sometimes, it's okay to let people just like explore and be like, I'm going to work on what we can work on right now. And it just, 
this person is going to have the gummy bears, whether I tell them to or not. So right now we're just like, not going to tackle that. We're going to just work on some other strategies first until they're, they're coming to like, you know, the lessons you learn for yourself are the most powerful lessons versus a lesson someone told you you should learn. So I think there's wisdom. Yeah. I think there is some, you are a Jedi. Jedi. Thank you. Jedi. Jedi. Thank you. So, um, Full disclosure that I have been a WAG client before and it was really fun. Um, but one of the things that you guys do, which I think, I, I'm sure other programs do this, but at least it was the first time I ever did it, is that it, as part of your weekly check-in, you actually have to submit photos of yourself um, in addition to like a weight check, which is what most programs do. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important and um, and do that? Do you do what, that with what everyone? What the reasoning behind that is? Yeah. You want to it? Yep. So um, we have like evolved over time. It is, we do highly, highly encourage it. It's not a hundred percent mandatory. We don't like let you know that it's a hundred percent not mandatory um, just because <laughs> there is some level of value for majority of people that are joining our program. We do like, you don't have to, we actually have a new feature in our software that's coming out within the next, I mean, if you know anything about software, you have no idea when the feature is coming out, but um, at some point in the near future uh, where you can toggle things on and off, especially if it's triggering for people, um, we do encounter that. So, um, but for majority of people having the photos, one, they regret not taking them. They're like, I'm, mm. I, I have made all this progress and I don't have the ability to like appreciate myself. And when you're with yourself every single day, it's harder to notice change. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm not making any progress and I'm so frustrated and this isn't working. And then your coach sends you your first photo compared to your most recent photo. And you're like, oh, like, dang, I look so different. And it's just harder when you're seeing yourself every single day. So there's, it's a marker of progress first. And then the number on the scale, we, we want, we want people just like we want people to conquer the whole good food versus bad food mentality. We want people to conquer the ability of the scale to affect how you feel about yourself. It's just one piece of data that gives you information about what's working, what's not working. Um, how can we actually achieve the goals that you're, if you're trying to lose weight not having the number on the scale is a really hard thing. It's a harder thing to do. Um, it's just a piece of data that, can allow us to notice trends over time. So we'd, we'd rather do the hard work of helping you conquer mentally seeing that number versus avoiding the number altogether. Um, so that's like mostly, more. mostly why we do that. But there's, I think yeah. there's one more really important, powerful effect of taking photos. Um, we learned about this thing called the Hawthorne effect recently from our mentor, Evan. And the Hawthorne effect was done at a some kind of plant that made widgets and they told the plant workers, the factory workers that someone was going to be coming in to mess with the lights. And when that happened, the production of widgets went through the roof. Widget is like code for just arbitrary product or service. Um, (laughs) Widge. Widge. The production went through the roof. And the reason that they found was that whenever human beings feel like someone might be or is watching over their shoulder, they will work harder. And we do that in any area of life. And so in our service, we know that we're going to have to check in with this person. We're going to have to write a little summary. They're going to know if we did a good job or not. 
one of the most powerful things is that they're going to see with their own eyes if we're telling the truth. Like if we look a little bit leaner, they're going to know where we probably adhere to our program or maybe we need to adjust it. But there's a really powerful form of accountability when we know someone's going to see us without a shirt on or, or you know, or very, very yeah. little clothing, enough to, enough to see our, our belly and our arms and our legs. It's very, very motivating. And it's like a moment, like a moment. Like my moment was when I was 16 years old and I went to the nutritionist's office and she goes, I need you to get on the scale. And I was like, I looked around and my mom was there. And I was like, does she have to be here? when I, when I get on the scale and she was like, yeah, you have, she, she's not going anywhere. So I got on the scale in front of my mom and my mom, like seeing the number, it like completely changed my life. Like it was just, I was on the hook. I was feeling the like shame and guilt and like, I didn't want to feel that anymore. And when people take photos at the beginning, some, of course we don't want people to feel shame and guilt, but once in a while, like having those those emotions, it triggers you to, into action. And if it's pushing you into action, it's a motivator to change your life because you have to confront where you are and you're unhappy with it, then sometimes it's really good for people. A lot of times. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, and I mean, I will just say that um, controversial, and I've even thought about writing a blog post about this, but I basically have weighed myself every single day of my adult life. And I realize that's not for everybody and that there are a lot of uh, people that have disordered eating issues. It's 100% not for them. But for me, you know, I've been basically plus or minus about eight pounds uh, my entire life, you know, um, maybe sometimes within like a 10 pound window, just depending on how I'm training or how I'm eating or how stressed I am or whatever. But I really think that that's been a huge part of my own personal, like lifelong weight management, because I immediately get feedback. Like, like we talked about earlier, like if I eat a half of, you know, if I eat like an entire box of Girl Scout cookies, it is immediate that I, mean, I see it on the scale that. the next day. No, you I don't do that. But I'm just saying like, whatever, I, I fall off the wagon like everybody else and I like to occasionally crappy stuff. You, you are sensitive. Immediately baby. I see a change, right? And I see, so I've immediately gotten feedback about my either good or bad choices. And, but I think for what you said, what resonated with me is it's more for me about the trends like you can kind of tell if you're tracking it on a regular basis, you're like, uh oh, I'm plus three. And it seems to be a trend that I need to like zip up. And so you zip it up. And, um, and so, you know, I'm always kind of like this fluctuating, but it's in this pretty small window for most of my adult life. Like obviously not having kids is sort of an exception, but, um, I don't know. Anyway, I'm a fan of it. And again, I realize it's fraught with like, you know, it's not for some people, but you know, anecdotally, for me anyway, it's been good. I've heard, I mean, Fred Rogers weighed himself every day and would eat a little bit less or swim a little bit more. And he had a weight that was like, this is his check-in weight. I mean, Mr. Rogers did that, which leads me to an interesting question because one of the things I really respect about both of you is that you are users and you have deep psychological uh, sort of instincts around this based on your own experiences, but also your athletes. So here's the question. This may be triggering, but I'd love to ask my friends this. Did you ever have a favorite weight? I don't think I've even asked anyone on this season, but I ask all my athlete friends, did you have a favorite weight? Like a body weight? Wow, this is vulnerable. Yeah. We're, go we're going there. I'm triggered. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm triggered for sure. Yeah, you you're have like, to. I'm you definitely triggered you right now. You give it to yourself. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, easy yeah, for me. Weight? The last time, the 2013 games, I was 190. I was in by far the best shape of my life. And even to this day, when I get there, that's when I feel most confident. I'm not like... Um, 
I don't know, bodybuilder lean by any means, but I'm lean enough where I think my confidence is maxed out. I hmm. feel very light on my feet and that's, that's my weight. And the, the background of this is the context is that we see that a lot of athletes, when something doesn't go wrong, doesn't go right for them, they default to their first training experience methodology where they made success or they mm -hmm. had their first breakout. So they go back to their small office squat program or Gail Hatch or the thing that got them the first success, they default back to those exercise behaviors. And I think I see the same thing sometimes, you know, come through nutrition. I was eating this way in 1987 at this moment where I was my most powerful self. I must re repeat that experiment. Right. Tell, tell the A to B experiment well, or model. Well, there's also, I, I think I made up this quote, but I might have stolen it from somewhere. <laughs> so it's some, I've Googled it. So I've like tried to find where it originated, but I feel like I made it up. So if anyone listening has heard this before, please. I would love to give credit to who it is, but uh, I talk, I say a lot like what saved you no longer serves you. And just mm. because something worked for you in the past doesn't mean it's going to work for you now, especially with training and nutrition, like so much about you has changed, especially at the beginning of when you train, you build this base that you just don't need to work that hard anymore to, to you just don't have to do as much as you get older to improve your fitness. It's more like you figured out what works or you can use the minimum effective dose more when you're like deeper and more advanced in your training. It's the same with nutrition. Like you kind of, and things tweak, your hormones change, your aging, like different things like that. But, um, the A to B model for, 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 for this. Say that non stolen quote one more time. Cause the original say what, what saved you no longer serves you. I love it. Yeah, I love that. Okay, now tell us the AB. Yeah, because the choice point yeah. is just like this. Yes. You can't go back. So like the A to B model is you're, we're, there's a funnel, like a triangle, and it ends. So it's like wide at the beginning, and then it ends at a, a point. So it's A starts at the widest end of the funnel. B is the closing, like where the two lines come together. And that's your path to success. So A is where you start. B is the goal that you want to get to. And as you're trying to head towards B, most people think it's like a straight line, straight from A, you're going straight to B, and that's just like how life works. It obviously doesn't work that way. So you're going like up and down the whole way. It's just like this roller coaster all the way on the way to B. And this funnel is what um, is called the zone of optimal behavior, meaning you want to be inside the funnel if you're going to be heading towards B. Anytime that you're getting outside of the funnel, you're no longer heading towards B. And like the example that um, my mentor, her name's Annie Hyman Pratt, she gives when she explains this is basketball. So when you're starting at A, the amount of behaviors that can still help you get towards B is wide. You can do so many different things that can make progress for you. So in basketball, you're a kid, just like playing with the ball is getting you closer to making it to the NBA. Then as you move closer and closer, the, the behaviors start to narrow. And you have to actually join a team. You have to actually practice. Then you get to high school. You have to start exercising. You can't like just move in the right direction and still be getting better at basketball. You have to like do more. Your things have to get narrower. Skills have to get more precise. And then as you get all the way close to B, you have to start caring about like your PR. You can't get a DUI and stay on an NBA team. Like all these things really start to matter and it gets narrower and narrower if you really want to get get make make it to the NBA. But the thing that he's talking about is when you get outside of the zone of optimal behavior, a lot of people 
it's called a choice point. So you either have to decide to get back inside the zone of optimal behavior and like start heading towards B again or choose something different. Because if you're outside, you can't make progress anymore. And most people want to go backwards, but there's only forwards. You can't go backwards. You don't get to stop working out because it, it used to work for me if I would just head, go to the games and practices and I would still get better at basketball, but it doesn't work anymore. Like you have to keep moving forwards. Um, and I think people, people just exactly like what you're saying. They're like, that used to work for me. Why isn't it working for me anymore? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, as so a, great. um, I'm a 47 year old woman and I can tell you even, you know, seven years ago, you know, if, if I just had like two bad food days, I could like zip it up and be back in two days or something. Right. And now it's like, you know, things don't happen as quickly. Mm -hmm. I can say the older and older I get. So, you know, based the, the same Out of your zone of optimal behavior. Yeah. But you know, faster. the same principles mm -hmm. of course apply, but like the, you know, my body's reaction to it, you know, just like, you know, isn't the same. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. What yeah. are you guys, what are you two working on? What's, yeah, what are you, what, what are you excited to? about? What's, what's coming down the pipe that's getting you like, let's talk about macros. I mean, like, what's getting you fired Where? up about doing this still? So work-wise, what we're most excited about, I think, well, the, the thing that we're always really excited about innovating the actual coaching model that, you know, the way that we help people adhere and comply to the program. But what's new and fresh and really exciting is training new coaches and helping them start online businesses. So we have, we've trained over 40 of our own employees on the same iterative coaching program, the, our coach certification. And a couple of years ago, we started being inundated with requests from former clients that said, oh my God, my life was changed with this. I want to do this with other people. How can I do it? And so about a year, year and a half ago, we started to sell our coach certification, the same exact one that we use with all of the coaches that we've trained. And we've started to train them. People are loving that. And then what they need next is, okay, now I, I know how to coach someone, but what software do I use? How do I market myself? How do I actually start an online business? And so now we're starting to help people do that as well. And so we allow them to use Seismic, the same service that, or the same software we use to communicate with our clients. We help them with marketing and sales. Um, we teach them how to like get their website up and running. And it just feels like a, the culmination of all of the different skills that we've been developing over the past six years combined, uh, well, 12 combined. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it feels really exciting to, to see a new level of impact that we get to have on people. Yeah, I mean, it becomes exponential, right? Mm -hmm. Doing it that way. You know, you guys are two people and then you have your people, but if you can grow it in that way, it's it's endless. So that's amazing. What about you? I, I always love iterating on the actual coaching program. It is so much fun for me. I'm in the Facebook group with mm -hmm. the members. Like, he, he will attest. We get... Um, like hundreds of feedback survey responses every month. I go through every single- How many pages is that? I feel like the last one was like 70 full pages on a Google Doc. She just devours it. Yeah, I like read every word that every single client says and I like log in my brain, like how often is that coming up? Is that something we can actually do? And I really love just 
hearing what our people want and what's working for them and what's not working for them. And we're like not perfect. I mean, like when you're like, I was a WAG client, I usually ask like, what year were you, were you, you know, like if it was 2014, I'm like, Ooh, like we're so much better now. I promise. Oh my God. It was like 2017 or 18. I mean, it was not that long ago. It was recent. I had a great experience. You do sound like exactly like Julia. I love it. Um, Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. It is such a pleasure. You know, we've hung out a little bit. Um, we are in the same family of athletes and coaches our whole life, and it is just a total pleasure to hang yeah, out with you. Yeah, huge fans I, I can't of what wait you guys till we, are doing. can't wait till we can actually hug it out someday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Remember um, hugs? Oh, Wasn't that man. nice? <laughs> yeah, there's that thing that all... Or like, like a dinner party. That was nice. Coaching in person, not behind a plastic bubble. I don't know if you saw that, but it's so sad. <laughs> yeah, when you get your nails um, done now, it's like there's a glass wall. Whoa. Oh, yeah. See, we and we don't even have... That's not even open yet for us, oh. so my nails are looking where, really janky. Where do we find out more? Yeah. How do people How do become more about clients? you guys? Uh, a a couple ways to follow us. One is we have a podcast called the WAG podcast, which Mm -hmm. are conversations just between the two of us. They're 20 to 30 minutes with actionable steps at the end of each episode. We put a lot of effort into that. You can look up. Obviously working against gravity, but the WAG podcast is what you you call it. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's literally called the WAG podcast. And if you want to look up our different programs, you can go to workingagainstgravity.com. And then I am very inactive on social media and you can follow my inactive account at Michael <laughs> Kazayu, C-A-Z-A-Y-O-U-X. And she's a D, A-D-E-E. Kazayu. Yeah, it's, it's, I, my maiden name was difficult. And then when we got married, I, I got an email from a lawyer that we were working with and he was like, you're the only person I know that has a complicated last name that got a more complicated last name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also just point everyone, um, working in gravity is your Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you have a ton of great info and, uh, snippets of your podcast there and all the links there. So if people are looking to follow you on Insta, I think that it's a great place to start. Thank you, guys. This was super fun. We're yeah. so honored to be on your show. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, next time you're in Austin, let us know. Because we'll have a newborn, so we're probably not going to be traveling for a while. But Oh, for sure. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it.